Hey everyone, and welcome to Theonomony, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theonomony. So this week we are continuing part two from last week. Last week we looked at the first half of John Locke's chapter on property from his book, Two Treatises of Government. This week, we are looking at the second half of it. So, if you did not listen to last week's episode, I highly encourage you go ahead and do so. Uh, You, if you listen to this week's episode and then last week's, you are reading the second half of the chapter before the first half. And maybe in nonfiction, it's a little bit easier than it is with fiction, but it still doesn't make it great. I also gave a little bit more extra content for myself with various disclaimers or things like that that I do not plan to repeat in this episode for brevity and for sake of redundancy. Uh, So with that being said, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, jump back, check it out, and right now we are starting with part two. And thus, without supposing any private dominion and property in Adam over all the world, exclusive of all other men, which can no way be proved, nor anyone's property be made out from it. But supposing the world given, as it was, to the children of men in common, we see how labor could make men distinct titles to several parcels of it, for their private uses, wherein there could be no doubt of right, no room for quarrel. Nor is it so strange as perhaps before consideration it may appear, that the property of labor should be able to overbalance the community of land. For it is labor indeed that put the difference of value on everything. And let anyone consider what the difference is between an acre of land planted with tobacco or sugar, sown with wheat or barley, and an acre of the same land lying in common, without any husbandry upon it. And we will find that the improvement of labor makes the far greater part of the value. I think it will be but a very modest computation to say that of the products of the earth useful to the life of man, nine-tenths are the effects of labor. Nay, if we will rightly estimate things as they come to our use and cast up that several expenses about them, what in them is purely owing to nature and what to labor, we shall find that in most of them, 99 hundredths are wholly to be put on the account of labor. There cannot be a clearer demonstration of anything than several nations of the Americans are of this, who are rich in land and poor in all the comforts of life, whom nature, having furnished as liberally as any other people, with the materials of plenty, i.e. a fruitful soil, apt to produce in abundance what might serve for food, raiment, 
and delight, yet for want of improving it by labor, have not one hundredth part of it the conveniences we enjoy. And a king of a large and fruitful territory there feeds, lodges, and is clad worse than a day laborer in England. To make this a little clear, let us trace some of the ordinary provisions of life through their several progresses before they come to our use and see how much of their value they receive from human industry. Bread, wine, and cloth are things of daily use and great plenty, yet notwithstanding, acorns, water, and leaves, or skins, must be our bread, drink, and clothing. Did not labor furnish us with these more useful commodities? For whatever bread is more worth than acorns, wine than water, and cloth or silk than leaves or skins or moss, that is wholly owing to labor and industry. The one of these things, the food and raiment which unassisted nature furnishes us with, the other, provisions which our industry and pains prepare for us, which how much they exceed the value and other, when anyone hath computed, he will then see how much labor makes the far greatest part of the value of things we enjoy in this world. And the ground which produces the materials is scarce to be reckoned in as any or at most, but a very small part of it. So little that even amongst us, land that is left wholly to nature, that hath no improvement of pasturage, tillage, or planting, is called, as indeed it is, waste, and we shall find the benefit of it amount to little more than nothing. This shows how much numbers of men are to be preferred to largeness of dominions, and that the increase of lands and the right of employing of them is the great art of government, and that prince, who shall be so wise and godlike, as by established laws of liberty to secure protection and encouragement to the dishonest industry of mankind, against the oppression of power and narrowness of party, will quickly be too hard for his neighbors. But this by the by, to return to the argument in hand. An acre of land that bears here twenty bushels of wheat, and another in America, which, with the same husbandry, would do the like, are, without doubt, of the same natural intrinsic value. But yet, the benefit mankind receives from the one in a year is worth much more than the other if all the profits an Indian received from it were to be valued and sold here, at least I may truly say, not one thousandth. It is labor then which puts the greatest part of the value upon land, which part it would scarcely be worth anything. It is to that we owe the greatest part of all its useful products. For all that the straw, bran, bread of that acre of wheat is more worth than the product of an acre of as good land, which lies waste, is all the effect of labor. For it is not barely the plowman's pains, the reaper's and thresher's toil, and the baker's sweat to be counted into the bread we eat, the labor of those who broke the oxen, who digged and wrought the iron and stones, who felled and framed the timber employed about the plow, 
mill, oven, or any other utensils, which are a vast number requisite to this corn, from its being seed to be sown, to its being made bread, must all be charged on the account of labor, and received as an effect of that. Nature and the earth furnished only the almost worthless materials, as in themselves. It would be a strange catalog of things that industry provided and made use of about every loaf of bread before it came to our use. If we could trace them, iron, wood, leather, bark, timber, stone, bricks, coal, lime, cloth, dyeing, drugs, pitch, tar, mass, ropes, and all the materials made use of in the ship that brought any of the commodities used by any of the workmen to any part of the work, all which it would be almost impossible at least too long to reckon up. From all which is evident that through the things of nature are given in common, yet man, by being master of himself and proprietor of his own person and the actions or labor of it, had still in himself the great foundation of property, and that which made up the greater part of what he applied to the support or comfort of his being, when the invention and arts had improved the conveniences of life, was perfectly his own and did not belong in common to others. Thus labor, in the beginning, gave a right of property. Wherever anyone was pleased to enjoy it upon what was common, which remained a long while the far greater part, and is yet more than mankind makes use of. Men, at first, for the most part, contented themselves with what unassisted nature offered to their necessities, and though afterwards, in some parts of the world, were the increases of people and stock, with the use of money, had made the land scarce, and so of some value. The several communities settled the bounds of their distinct territories and by laws within themselves regulated the properties of the private men of their society, and so, by compact and agreement, settled the property which labor and industry began, and the leagues that have been made between several states and kingdoms, either expressly or tacitly disowning all claims and right to the land and the other's possession, have, by common consent, given up their pretenses to their natural common right, which originally they had to those countries, and so have, by positive agreement, settled a property amongst themselves, in distinct parts and parcels of the earth. Yet there still are great tracts of ground to be found, which, the inhabitants thereof not having joined with the rest of mankind, in the consent of the use of their common money, lie waste, and are more than the people who dwell on it, or can make use of, and so still lie in common. Though this can scarce happen amongst that part of mankind that have consented to the use of money. The greatest part of things really useful to the life of man, and such as the necessity of subsisting, made the first commoners of the world look after, as it doth the Americans now, are generally things of short duration, such as, if they are not consumed by use, 
will decay and perish of themselves. Gold, silver, and diamonds are things that fancy or agreement hath put the value on more than real use and the necessary support of life. Now of those good things which nature hath provided in common, every one had a right, as hath been said, to as much as he could use, and property in all that he could effect with his labor, all that his industry could extend to, to alter from the state nature had put it in, was his. He that gathered a hundred bushels of acorns or apples had thereby a property in them, and were his goods as soon as gathered. He was only to look that he used them before they spoiled, else he took more than his share and robbed others. And indeed it was a foolish thing, as well as dishonest, to hoard up more than he could make use of, if he gave away a part to anybody else, so that it perished not uselessly in his possession, these he also made use of. And if he also bartered away plums that would have rotted in a week, for nuts that would last good for his eating a whole year, he did no injury. He wasted not the common stock, destroyed no part of the portion of the goods that belonged to others, so long as nothing perished uselessly in his hands. Again, if he would give his nuts for a piece of metal, pleased with its color, or exchange his sheep for shells, or a wool for a sparkling pebble, or a diamond, and keep those by him all his life, he invaded not the right of others, he might heap as much as these durable things as he pleased, the exceeding of the bounds of his just property not lying in the largeness of his possession, but the perishing of anything uselessly in it. And thus came in the use of money, some lasting thing that men might keep without spoiling, and that by mutual consent men would take in exchange for the truly useful but perishable supports of life. And as different degrees of industry were apt to give men possessions in different proportions, so this invention of money gave them the opportunity to continue and enlarge them for supporting an island separate from all possible commerce with the rest of the world, wherein they were but an hundred families, but there were sheep, horses, and cows, with other useful animals, wholesome fruits, and land enough for corn for a hundred thousand times as many, but nothing in the island, either because of its commonness or perishableness, fit to supply the place of money. What reason could any one have there to enlarge his possession beyond the use of his family and a plentiful supply to its consumption, either in what their own industry produced, or they could barter for like perishable, useful commodities with others. Where there is not something both lasting and scarce, and so valuable to be hoarded up, there men will not be apt to enlarge their possessions of land, were it ever so rich, ever so free for them to take. For I ask, what would a man value 10,000 or 100,000 acres of excellent land, ready cultivated and well stocked too with cattle, in the middle of the inland parts of America, where he had no hopes of commerce with other parts of the world, 
to draw money to him by the sale of the product. It would not be worth the enclosing, and we should see him give up again to the wild common of nature, whatever was more than would supply the conveniences of life to be had there for him and his family. Thus, in the beginning, all the world was America, and more so than is now, for no such thing as money was anywhere known. Find out something that hath the use and value of money amongst his neighbors. You shall see the same man will begin presently to enlarge his possessions. But since gold and silver, being little useful to the life of man in proportion to food, raiment, and carriage, has its value only from the consent of men, whereof labor yet makes, in great part, the measure. It is plain that men have agreed to a disproportionate and unequal possession of the earth, they having, by tacit and voluntary consent, found out a way how a man may fairly possess more land than he himself can use the product of, by receiving an exchange for the overplus, gold and silver, which may be hoarded up without injury to anyone, these metals not spoiling or decaying in the hands of the possessor. This partage of things in an inequality of private possessions, men have made practicable out of the bounds of society and without compact, only by putting a value on gold and silver and tacitly agreeing in the use of money. For in government, the laws regulate the rights of property and the possession of land is determined by positive constitutions. And thus, I think, it is very easy to conceive how labor could at first begin a title of property in the common things of nature, and how the spending it upon our uses abounded it, so that there could then be no reason of quarreling about title, nor any doubt about the largeness of possessions it gave. Right and conveniency went together, for as a man had a right to all he could employ his labor upon, so he had no temptation to labor for more than he could make use of. This left no room for controversy about the title, nor for encroachment on the right of others. What portion a man carved to himself was easily seen, and it was not useless, as well as dishonest, to carve himself too much or take more than he needed. So that was the second half of the chapter on private property from John Locke's Two Treatises of Government. I hope that was beneficial to you all and that you all learned some things from what John Locke said there. I know I most definitely did. And with that, I am closing this episode of Theana Money, and that concludes our initial series on private property, which initially was going to be two parts, and with these two episodes from John Locke, it is now a four-part series. So as we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace.
Oh, you.